This is B of C Live, the video and podcast series of Business of Cannabis. Find out all that we do at businessofcannabis.com. Coming up, a BFC Live conversation with Brett Heyman. She is the founder of Edie Parker and Flower by Edie Parker. We want to connect with her as part of our work in New York City. We connect with her on site in New York to talk about New York legalization, driving dag stigma, the role design and aesthetics play in that, and is New York different than other markets? We want to connect with her to talk about all of these things and more. This is Brett Heyman of Edie Parker and Flower by Edie Parker. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Uh, we were chit-chatting a little bit before uh, we started pressing record, which was nice. Um, can you give uh, give me or us and people listening a little bit of background about you, about the brand, and then we'll sort of jump into it. Sure. So my name is Brett Heyman, and I'm the founder of a company called Edie Parker and Flower by Edie Parker. Um, Edie Parker started in 2010 as a line of acrylic clutches and accessories, and in 2019 we launched Flower, which we call a line of colorful collectibles for friends in high places. And we make cannabis accessories, and we sell cannabis flower. I like it. Thanks. Those are some of my favorite things, uh, especially as you got to the cannabis flower part. Um, talk a little bit about the transition from sort of from the early days to, to, to sort of ju- not jumping, but the transition yeah. of adding cannabis into it. It wasn't, I mean, in terms of accessories, it wasn't a huge transition because we made home items and we make items that are meant to be displayed to surprise and delight, right? We live in Technicolor. We put bold words on our bags, bold inlays. And so this idea about making cannabis accessories that weren't supposed to be hidden away in a drawer and that had multifunction, that like if you smoked cannabis and you wanted to be gifted a hand-blown fruit glass pipe, great. But if you wanted to just put it on your shelf because it's a beautiful object, that works too with our ethos. Um, I think it's just, you know, we're a group of mostly, well, all actually, we're a group of all women in the office and the use of cannabis is part of our lives. And as cannabis became legal in more places and the conversation was happening nationally, it occurred to us that nobody made anything that looked like what we made. And this idea of, I go to my friend's house, I bring a bottle of wine, but she really prefers cannabis and there was nothing to gift um, was sort of where we started. So we explored making accessories, which was not a transition, as I said, (laughs) making flour, selling flour was, I mean, was and remains such a cluster F. And and so that was different. (laughs) It is different. but even as you said, it was not a like major transition because it was it was right within sort of your wheelhouse. Do you think people in your position were saying that five, 10, 15, 20 years ago? Because it was there. It, there is, I mean, there is a stigma around it. Yeah. But is that are you leading a charge to drive it down, or are you in business because it's been driven down the stigma? I mean, I think both, to be very fair. I think we, I mean, look, I think we really participate in this destigmatization conversation in a way that, like, you know, people sometimes ask a lot of questions about what we do. Like, you make a $700 bong, and, like, I get it. But I think having a $700 bong that is in Architectural Digest, that is in the New York Times, that, um, you know, we opened on Madison Avenue, I think all of those things are part of the conversation of normalization and these things where you see they can be like these beautiful objects and there's it just opens a conversation that I don't think we were necessarily having before. Again, I'm not alone in this. I'd like, you know, Barney's opened the high end. We were in there. I think these are things that are obviously happening and it's moving fast. But I think that we very much participate in them. Yeah. And it, it, um, it I want to ask specifically about New York because sure. obviously we're in New York City as we talk. But, but does that 
either culturally, uh, culturally, or as like a cannabis industry, change things dramatically because it is New York and what New York means to, I don't know, pick pick the thing it means the most to: fashion, beauty, design, uh, culture, culture, like right? all of those things. Like, does it is it more special that it's legalizing in in New York than? Well, I don't want to insult any other states, I guess. Like, in other places, like, is that more meaningful? To me, it is. I think because, as you said, New York is, like it or not, the center of the universe for all of those. Not, you know, not everything, but for fashion, for food, for, you know, art. Um, I'm so like such a New Yorker. I mean, it's <laughs> obviously, these places, these things exist in other places. But I think New York is poised to be the center of the cannabis world as well in terms of retail and experiences, lounges, look and feel, personalization. And of course, like everything else, I think that'll have an amazing ripple effect. It, it hurts me to even ask the question because I'm from Boston. Um, so to say that like New York is the center of the universe, it's obvious to everybody except the people that live within like 50 miles of Boston, I think. Uh, but it is true, and I think it does. It is meaningful, and I, I guess there's also a policy conversation. Like, is it more meaningful because of all the things you said and the culture that, and because this is what this is not where the policy is generally made on a national level, but it's certainly the, an indicator of things to come. Um, and I think it's interesting because it's it's New York which matters. It's people like you who are doing really interesting work and putting beautiful things in the world that drive down stigma, and more people are using cannabis out in the open, let's say, it does sort of create this swirl of a momentum, which I think is, well, it is unstoppable, but as we were actually talking about before we first left, like the, Puritan, the Purit, puritanical nature of, well, I, I live in Canada, but of Canada and the US, let's say, like these are big sweeping changes, even though we have this conversation, you and I have this conversation because it's part of our lives. Like, I don't know how to, I don't even know if this is a question, but like, how do you, how do you make that leap to people who don't feel like us? Well, I think at some point, I mean, I think I'm answering your question. and I, was, I think I had one. I mean, I, I think. I, and for the record, I think Boston is great. Um, <laughs> I do too. It's just New York is better, obviously. I um, didn't say that. I just said it's, uh, it's maybe more influential. Maybe is what I mean. Look, I think it's just inevitable that at some point, like if you're talking about an industry and a product that is going to be the biggest job creator in this country that had, you know, over $3 billion in tax revenues just this past year, that has more bipartisan support than the president. I think at some point it's like, yeah, you, you might not be like us, but you're going to look around and be like, wow, every, yeah, I mean, the whole city smells like weed. And yet we're still being productive. We're still interesting. This like, you know, idea of this stoner, this myth isn't actually true. I mean, sometimes it's true, but it more than more often than not like you can be highly productive functioning smoke cannabis and like the world's not going to end so it's just a matter of time yeah and i even think about the conversations having with my folks now versus a year or two and five ago and we've been working in cannabis for a while and the conversations their cohort is having with me like i get a lot of emails from like a lot of emails from florida asking about different products like you know Always. Yeah. My parents too. I mean, I grew up, my dad would have never smoked cannabis. He like was so suspicious. I was always like looking in my, in around my room to find drugs. And I think with the, with the older people, the boomerangs, as we like to call them, it starts with sleep. You know, they can't sleep anymore. So then it's like, do you have gummies for sleep? Do, what do I take to sleep? I mean, I think they, that's how they get into cannabis. And then they're like, well, actually. Well, also it's just the drinking is not great. Yeah. Like the drinking is counter counterbalance. Like you will sleep, sleep worse. Sure. Uh, you will feel worse. You you don't respond as well in your 60s, 70s than you did in your 20s and 30s. You're absolutely right. Every year it gets harder. It, I mean, I still am a committed drinker, but it does. I like to drink too, but I'm drinking way less. Yeah. Do you think that that is, uh, I don't know if you're drinking less, but like 
<laughs> that actually builds up this other thing like about social settings, right? Partly it's about beautiful products, partly it's about great product to actually consume, and part of it's about the social settings. Like, have you seen a change? Like, are, are your designs and are your products changing that social setting? I don't know, away from alcohol, but in addition to alcohol. I think in addition to. I mean, again, in New York, we are not California sober. Like, you know, socially when we are out, I think it's still like a lot of alcohol, but there's this addition to cannabis and there's maybe cannabis at the end of the night. Um, I think that sort of always existed in New York. But I think that we talk a lot about alcohol versus cannabis where alcohol, and again, I love alcohol, but it is a desensitizer, right? That is the point. So that you dull your feelings, you dull your experiences. And the opposite is true of cannabis. And as women, we talk a lot about like sex and cannabis and all of the things that cannabis helps with and something that makes everything better, feel better, look better, smell better, taste better. Like why wouldn't people include that in their regimens? They would. Yeah, they are. That's true. And I feel like, I feel like there's, and I don't know if you feel this way, like we are so in it every day. So like, of course we see it and you think, that everybody's doing this, but they're not. Right. But I think, I think everybody is doing it. Like I think, not everybody's talking about it. Not everybody's out in the open. But I, I can remember very clearly at my kid's school, that she wasn't even there yet. She was in kindergarten, going to grade one or whatever, and like went to a adult, like a parents' party for incoming families. And like people were smoking pot. I was like, this, I found my people. Totally right. But then it's like. It's, it's so much easier to find people now because, well, in Toronto, it's, it's legal. In Canada, it's legal. It's like it really is. It's not just people smoking pot on the street. Of course, they are. But it is really part and parcel of the culture. And the sky has not fallen. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Like, like, I think that is the shocker that people who are against this, that the sky doesn't fall. Really nothing changes. Also, like, zero cannabis overdose deaths, like, lower opioid prescriptions. Like, at some point, you've got to listen and be like, all right, this is actually pretty great. I want to get specific to, to sort of what you're doing. Uh, you're reopening your New York retail space. We are. On Bond Street. Very soon. Next week. Next week. That's very soon. Uh, that'll probably be as this comes out, so this great. week, I guess. Um, talk a little bit about designing products, like, for specific for a New York retail space. Is that different and apart from sort of how you think about it broadly, more broadly? I don't, I don't think the product lineup is different. I think that we very much speak to a national audience in terms of our products, but certainly there will be special items in the New York store that you can only get there, both from a practicality standpoint, a, a different consumer standpoint, and also just creating excitement in retail. Like, what's the point of going to a store if everything you can get there, you can get online? Yeah, uh, you've, you're well traveled. You've been to a lot, not just no. reg regular retail, of course, but also cannabis retail. I would imagine and dispensaries across the country. Um, is is there anything that you look forward to helping sort of usher into New York, or things that you think will be New York specific that you haven't seen in other places? I mean, I, I'm going to say the latter, and then if you follow up with me and say, what are they? I'm going to say, I have no idea. But I won't I, follow up? <laughs> because I just think, of course. I mean, I say this internally all the time. Like, everything that we think now about cannabis and what it looks like now is going to look so different in five years, right? Things that exist will not exist. Just the experience will be so much better. So, of course, I think retail will follow suit, and I think New York will be the beginning of ushering that moment in. I think so, too. It's because of all the things we talked about related to New York— and about every successive jurisdiction that comes online can learn from the previous, right? And, and uh, taxation, good example, T dispensaries in San Francisco may not have to pay a tax so they can actually compete for a while with the unregulated or legacy market. Uh, similar things I think we're talking about in Canada around marketing. In Canada right now, in some provinces, you have to have 
you can't see into the store. You have to have your windows basically shielded from anybody, right. which is a danger, which is a terrible shopping experience. It's bad for the people that work in the store, and it doesn't do anything to actually, it, it does nothing. It's outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you could times a hundred, I mean, even like we talk about going into Florida and packaging regulations in Florida are such that like we couldn't even make a pretty box. It's ridiculous. You talk about, you know, color regulations from state to state, all the waste in the CR packaging from state to state. Like, I mean, it's just so many things that are so unnecessary and stupid that will hopefully go away. Yes. It just takes time. And I think right. that's the frustration because it's an industry made up of people like you who are like, gung-ho, let's go do it, let's change the world and do it quickly and move and break things like, not like Mark Zuckerberg, but better than Mark Zuckerberg is breaking things. Um, but but really, it, it's come up against this, it's actually, I don't think it's, uh, it's elected officials and regulators are so far away from where the population is on this one, on many things, but on this thing in particular, like they are living in the 60, 50s, I think, and the world is living in the now, and like, it's not a big deal to most people in the population, and it is a big deal to the people. Do you think that is stigma or uh, protecting old industries or, um, I don't know. I think probably a little bit of both, right? I mean, I think it's definitely stigma, and it's it's just education. I think there's still that fear of the unknown and, and just, you know, it's new. And then I, you know, I don't know this. This is like not, this is speculation totally. I love speculation. <laughs> I have no data to support this. But, you know, when you talk about things like alcohol sales declining for the first time out West, you know, ever. Uh, I think that probably should be cheered, should be cheered. But I think people obviously like, you know, clutch their pearls and sim you know, prescription drugs. Like there are forces that are used to being well-established and in charge in this world, country, whatever, um, that are certainly going to have a lot to say about this. Yeah. It's interesting though. I, I also have seen a flip where, uh, because the, the saturation of cannabis stores in Toronto specifically is like unbelievable. Like it's, there's 300 in the city of Toronto. Most of them are downtown and most of them are in like a very small thing, um, which would have been one conversation pre-COVID. Like, oh my goodness, like people are being kicked out of their rents because these people are willing to pay more. Now I've seen it flip where it's, and I think it'll be the same in, in New York where these stores are, they are always adding value to the neighborhood, but like they are going to be, I think in many places welcomed in because they are good retailers, first of all, good neighbors, good foot traffic, like they pay the rent, they're heavily regulated, so they need to, like all those things on the micro level are really exciting, I think, and, and the timing is interesting sort of post-COVID that there's going to be empty storefronts. I think COVID changed a lot. I mean, again, I, I'm less familiar with Canada, but I think COVID, like, you know, establishing cannabis as an essential business. And as you said, like, and the sky didn't fall and it really was so helpful to people dealing with anxiety or just boredom and everything else. I think it, it is a, a bit of a sea change. Yeah. Thank God. Thank God. Yeah. And, and I think also thank God there's an industry, you know, take a, take a slice of the industry you want that was willing, that was able and willing to respond to that essential nature like whether it was a tech-enabled delivery or point of sale or e-commerce or products and you know actual cannabis products people wanted for that moment uh, and the ability to fulfill those orders and people creating things they wanted to display in their homes. Like it was a lot of these things all happening at once. And and even at the beginning, we were having conversations with business cannabis, like what are the things that are going to change over one and a half years? I think we were actually talking about four weeks at the time, but like four weeks or, or two years that are going to move 10 years in advance, and I think cannabis, when we have some perspective on this, will actually be one of them. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, look, it's exciting. Everybody talks about cannabis being the Wild West, and it is, and it's so difficult in so many ways and so frustrating. But at the same time, like everything you just said, you're in an industry where people just love it, and there's so much innovation, and there's so much problem solving, and like that's very exciting. Like, how often do you get to be at the ground floor or something where it's like going to be so important? Especially that you like. Right, <laughs> like, totally. Like, and I, I know I get people are like passionate about technology, and like people are passionate about they try to be where they work but like cannabis is just it's awesome yeah because it makes everybody's life better who uses it it it, it does i think it does i think so i mean too. it makes me a better parent i talk about that a lot sure for sure especially being locked in with two kids for two years that's sure. just you needed those uh those gummies um talk a little bit about sort of consumers uh, cannabis uh, cannabis consumers are your sort of target audience like how do you think about them how do you when when you sort of have a whiteboard and you're designing products and saying, who, who are you designing for? Is it, you know, everyday users? Is it someone who wants something beautiful in their home that's interesting to talk about? Is it new people? Like, how, how do you sort of categorize those consumers? I mean, I wish I would say we were that strategic, but we basically... <laughs> Let's pretend you were. Yeah, exactly. Like, maybe I should be. But no, we mostly... Look, we started with women. We're like, let's talk to women because we didn't think... I don't want to say anybody. I don't want to be insulting to people who have been in this business longer. But we didn't think anybody was really talking to women or talking to women in a legitimate, meaningful, honest way. Um, and so that's sort of how it started. And by and large, every time we pop up at a dispensary and do an activation, we are so surprised by how many men are positively responding to us and to our accessories and to our gifts. Not just because they're like, I want to buy this for my sister, I want to buy it for my girlfriend, but they like it. Um, so we start with women and we certainly like, we feel like we, we have stuff for the everyday user, but we're also really into sort of attracting someone who isn't necessarily an everyday user, who's kind of curious about cannabis, who's like a little bit afraid. And we're a brand that's been around for 10 plus years. They trust us, they know us, they've been buying stuff from us. There's a certain level of quality and craftsmanship. And, and I think that was kind of our hypothesis that like, if you're curious, look over here and you know that we're doing something that you don't have to be afraid of. Yeah. And how, how uh, did you have customers or people felt strongly about your sort of previous cannabis stuff, like non-cannabis products um, that were surprised? Shocked. And I, I meant, I, I mean, in a negative way or a good way, like, yeah. like were of they? Of course. Yeah. I mean, still, we get a lot of questions. You know, I, I keep like telling you the most expensive things we make. And, and I feel like I want to touch on that after because not everything we make is this expensive. But certainly people would be like, you make an $800 handbag and you're selling pre-roll paper. I mean, uh, rolling papers, like yeah. that makes no sense. Um, so yeah, we got a lot of people still do. People will comment on my Edie Parker Instagram saying like, what's up with you guys and all this cannabis? It used to be so cute. Um, but I think for the most part, people were intrigued. They were excited. They thought it was really cool. Um, they thought it was innovative and interesting. And now, I mean, I think it's like some of our biggest customers are adults who have buying, been buying Edie Parker. I always say adults, like I'm not adulting, but more, old, more mature adults who have buy, been buying Edie Parker for years for themselves, for their daughters. And now they're buying cannabis accessories for their adult children as Christmas presents and just like, oh, my kid would love this. And, and that I think like I get super tickled by. Yeah, it's really good. I want to, when you decided to start sort of making cannabis accessories, like what was that, like was it an aha or was it like we just should do this or was it a natural progression or was, like what was the impetus? I mean, truthfully, like my husband had been talking about cannabis for years. You know, we started researching in earnest in 18 and like he just really loves cannabis and he was always sending me stuff about the cannabis markets and the cannabis happening and like he was just so intrigued by it and so it got me thinking about it 
And it got me thinking about it because that's, you know, I think like a, a person who likes to, I, I always misquote Wayne Gretzky to, to be, you know, fellow Canadian. Don't do that. I do, I do. I always say like, I like to go where the puck isn't, which is actually not the right quote. No. I think he said he was going where the puck was going. Always skate where the puck is Yeah, exactly. But I misquote it all the time because it's how I think about things where it's like, I never wanted, even when I started a handbag company, I didn't make something that I thought was on the market. I didn't like, after all my years in fashion, say like, let me make a black leather bag. I made something that didn't exist that I really wanted and wanted to solve for. So I think that's what happened with cannabis where we smoked at home and then and like it was so exciting what was happening and I thought wow there's nothing that I want to buy if I want to buy him a gift if I want to buy someone a gift there was just nothing available and that was really what piqued my interest yeah there's other Wayne Gretzky's quotes too well there's one <laughs> other famous one that you miss 100% of the shots you don't take yeah love that one that's a good one it's good it's good yeah it's he's just such a overwhelming figure in Canada it's like well I grew up in LA so he was, oh, he was big a figure too. for me yeah you guys stole him yeah we need to steal all the good stuff. I'm not even from... I'm I know. Look at you. It's funny. I um, This has nothing to do with cannabis, but I was just coming in to through Newark, and the guy looks at my passport, and he says, welcome home. And I was like, wait. Like, I didn't want... I don't, you want those conversations to be as short as possible, especially if you're wearing a t-shirt that says cannabis on it. So I just didn't say anything, but it was really... I, I balance my Canadianism with... Uh, U.S. You have to. Well, in, in Newark, you got no problems. You're legal in Jersey now. That's true, but the, the border the border control people don't don't seem to care, uh, which is also a thing. I mean, I guess it's funny. I'm, I'm traveling from Toronto, landing in Newark, and coming to New York. All the places that it's legal or decriminalized. But those, those the folks at the border don't give two no, shits. Don't care. When I flew home from Toronto, I did customs in Toronto. Yes, but I flew out of the teeny airport Ugh, downtown. What a what a miss! I thought that was the greatest thing I'd ever done. It's great. It is good uh, when you fly from the big airport, right. just from where we live in downtown. Flying to Newark is like so much easier. But then you get off, you have to go through customs, and it's like it takes forever. Takes forever. I know. I know. Forever. It's the worst, and I don't have global entry. Not yet. Well, no, I applied. Right before Trump decided to like wage a war on New York and right. like stopped all the global entry interviews. And so I did all the paperwork. I waited, I waited, and now I don't know where I am. I'm well, in limbo. The people behind me had applied for Nexus at the beginning and they can't get interviews. Wow. Because apparently not doing interviews in Toronto for a while. Brett, this was really a great conversation. I thought it was a great conversation. It was nice to meet you, talk about what you're up to, and uh, I look forward to connecting with you down the road. And thanks for making time. That's it. I feel like we're just getting started. Oh, you like, want? We can keep going. <laughs> no, no, no. This I'm has happened before, too, where I'd be like, I feel like I want to end it because it's about 21 minutes. Which is how like Feels like long enough? But it's long enough for my very short attention span. Not that, uh, when I'm listening, not when I'm talking. Um, yeah. Like, what, I guess, well, we can keep going. No, no, no. no, no I'm kidding. I like I'm going. kidding. But, what, like, you look ahead. I mean, New York, it's like start and go and fits and starts. But like, what are you most excited about as things, well, both open up from a pandemic front, but also open up from like a legal cannabis front? I hope that New York really leads in lounges and cannabis lounges. Like I really want to have some really elevated, exciting experiences in a cannabis lounge. Like I feel like New York's going to going to be doing something incredible. And I think there's just so many creative people and people that I know in hospitality. I, I think everybody's really excited about it. And I don't know what that looks like. And I don't know when, but I feel like that's going to be something really cool. Yeah. They're talking about it. And it will be totally different than I think what happens in LA, like right. some mobile farms. And then Vegas is talking about it very different than Vegas. But it, it is like the whole, like Toronto is looking at, I think in New York, like, how are they going to do that? Because yeah. that's, but the thing is, if you don't do it, and you don't allow people to brand, like take take your pick of the regulations. You don't allow people to market. You don't allow people to brand. You make the stores 
while really interesting and engaging inside, basically bland on the outside, if you don't allow for lounges, like you don't uh, get closer to your policy goals of like driving out the legacy market or raising tax dollars. Like you, it's, it's like, uh, what's the, the silly balloons where you push on one end and like the other side comes out. Like it's, it's you have to like uh, take some losses if you're a regulator, I guess. Right. Yeah, <laughs> That's it. I know. It's, it'll happen. Yeah. I do like the, the, the lounge thing is very interesting because it's, it's novel. Yeah, it's novel. Yeah. It's exactly right. Yeah, it shouldn't be, but it, but it will be. But I mean, like we follow what's going on in Las Vegas, and I think Las Vegas will do it very Las Vegasy, I think. And also, the weather is a different scenario between here and well, California, Las Vegas, and here. Right. How will you do that? No, I feel bad. I think we should end it. Why? <laughs> because you ended it, and I insisted that you keep talking. No, so I don't care. Believe I me. Feel like I, I'm I will good. say, I will say that it, conversations that happen naturally, even after the, sort of the thing stops are sometimes the juiciest. Yeah. I think so. Right. Well, I, I think we did great. I think so, too. You sound great. In my ear. I'm going to stop it. <laughs> that was an incredibly fun conversation with Brett Heyman of E.D. Parker and Flower by E.D. Parker. If you like this program, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you heard the show. It helps support the work we do. We're able to do what we do because of ongoing partnerships with Alternative Savings, Cannabis at Work, Cannabis Benchmarks, Ken Delta, Gallagher, Headset, and Torque and Mains. Find out all that we do at businessofcannabis.com.